This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Following the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from the Great White North and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard. We're all familiar with ghosts. We're familiar with haunted houses. What happens when the house is the ghost? There is a a spectral mansion that has been reported in uh, an area of Suffolk, just northeast of uh, London, for the last 150 years uh, by dozens of witnesses. This grand red brick Georgian manor suddenly appears in a wheat field uh, and then simply vanishes. And we're going to discuss that over the next 45 minutes or so. Uh, Jim Burchill is a newspaper editor, podcaster, journalist from New Zealand. He maintains an interest in unexplained phenomena. His podcast, Occam's Razor, explores the paranormal and the world's greatest mysteries with the aid of learned guests. He's recently embarked on a trip to the UK to document the mystery of the Ruffham Disappearing House for his uh, YouTube channel, Unexplained Cases which has also been featured on uh, BBC Radio. He became acquainted with the uh, UK-based documentary filmmaker Simon Nunn, who has spent the last few years interviewing people connected to the Ruffham House sightings. And uh, also joining us, uh, Simon Nunn is a distinguished filmmaker, founder of UFOinsider.news, based in Norfolk in the UK. His work has garnered acclaim for his exploration of landscapes and cosmic mysteries and award-winning films showcased at renowned global festivals, including the British Film Institute, South Bank, and the Hong Kong Film Festival. Beyond Cinema, Nunn's innovative approach, recognized with prestigious awards such as the National Lottery Heritage Funding and from the Emergent Arts Space in San Francisco, extends to unraveling UFO secrets. His upcoming film, The Grove, set for release this year, promises to captivate audiences with a deep dive into the mysterious reports surrounding a phantom house in an English village. All right, Jim Burchill and Simon Nunn, welcome to you both. How are you? Very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having us on, Richard. So first of all, let's get a a quick geography lesson. Suffolk, uh, England, northeast of, of London, just kind of describe the terrain and some of the local villages and hamlets in the area. Well, it's um, yeah, it's about it's near Cambridge, so it's um, the county east from Cambridge. Everyone knows Cambridge, right? Yes. Uh, no one knows Suffolk. Um, 
And it's outside of a town called Bury St. Edmunds, which is um, a small market town. The landscape is very, very flat and expansive. It kind of reminds me of like Midwest, you know, that kind of incredibly flat, open skies, right. loads of wheat fields. It's an agricultural kind of landscape. Um, and yeah, it's just, there's still just like little hamlets of uh, thatched roof cottages everywhere. It's your kind of scenic image of a uh, village kind of uh, English village life. Right. So, and uh, Barry St. Edmunds, um, there's an abbey there that's been, a, that, that, that was built, what, uh, in the Middle, Middle Ages? There's quite a history there revolving around uh, the namesake, St. Edmunds. He was martyred, I understand. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, he was, um, he was slaughtered by the Danes um, in 852, I believe. Um, uh, yeah, um, just outside of Bury Stedman's. And I think there's a potential link. It's actually near Ruffham, actually, where this um, uh, beheading actually happened, where he uh, refused to renounce his faith uh, to the Danes repeatedly. But yeah, that's that's where the name comes from. But there's a huge abbey. There's so much history from the town. Um, a lot of the witch trials happened in Bury Stedman's. And then they were taken over to um, Salem. And then they kind of like used the same kind of trials and like methods of uh you know interrogation so to speak um over in salem um so yeah it's quite i mean jim jim you you, you went there i met you there but it was quite a spooky place wasn't it i mean it was certainly a town that uh well, i i came up from london i got on a train from st pancras station i was i was visiting from from new zealand uh ostensibly you know, on holiday but uh obviously the ruffham house was was front of mind so i caught the train up there and uh when I jumped out the station, it's it's just a town with a yeah, it's an old town. It's got you know old streets. It's it's got that imprint. It's uh, a little bit spooky is probably the best way to put it. It's got an unusual vibe in the air. Well, I something that I picked up on anyway. It's um, yeah, it's uh, a place that's certainly been around a long time. Describe that. Can you describe that vibe? That is it an energy? Does it affect your? Does, does it give you a physical sensation? Yeah, well, I mean, when I stepped off, um, way I would sort of describe it, I suppose, uh, in, in Auckland, where I live in New Zealand, we have a thing called the Auckland hum, which is, you know, a phenomenon that's shown up all around the world, um, where people feel a low frequency hum. Yeah, not, not everyone can hear it, not everyone can feel it. I suppose a similar vibe would, would be that I picked up on and Barry was the hum. Um, stepping off the train, it's just, uh, yeah, I don't know if it's anything to do with infrasound. If you've ever been exposed to that, you know the slight feeling of unease you might get when you uh, when you go into you know building of historical significance or a place or something like that. Uh, it's probably the best way to describe it, anyway. Whether, whether that was mixed in with my anticipation or slight anxiety at going to a site that reportedly has a disappearing uh, phantom mansion. Simon, do do you feel that? that vibration or hum or vibe as well? Yeah, I, I do at the um, the actual location of where the house has been seen. I mean, there is an atmosphere um, in the town, Barry Stedman's um, itself. Um, it's because a lot of, like I was saying, that, that area of England, it's quite untouched as well because there's no like motorways in the Eastern regions. So everything has is a kind of, still decades behind do you know what i mean it's that slow yep. pace of life it's kind of remained there um, and i think that adds to the atmosphere really 
but also um, I don't know if you're familiar with ley lines, um, yes. the theory oh, yes. of like energy lines. Yeah. Um, there's two main ones in England that run from Land's End to Norfolk. Um, I think it's Hopton on Sea. And both of them interweave through Bury St Edmunds and they cross over near the Abbey, actually. Um, and I think that, that you know, that does add something, uh, personally, I think. Um, there is some sort of, um, yeah. Late yeah. Lines, some, some call them dragon lines. Um, can you maybe explain what ley lines are actually? Um, so I think the term was coined by um, Alfred Watkins um, in his famous book about ley lines. Um, I, think, I think it was in the 40s that he wrote it. I can't remember off the top of my head, but um, it's the idea that there's um, e energy currents under the earth um, that have been here um, for thousands of years and they're, they're lined up by... Um, monuments throughout the country throughout the world so for example in the uk it's like stonehenge to different you know sacred churches or pagan sites coincidentally have to are, are lined up and there is that energy current going along following it um and just so coincidentally barry st edmund's abbey is um on one essentially interesting um, yeah. before we get to the um the mirage mansion in, in ruffham um, also connected to Barry St. Edmunds, uh, I believe, reports that go back maybe, I don't know, centuries of headless horsemen, um, uh, specters of, of monks roaming around. Uh, what can you tell me about those reports? Um, oh God, yeah, there's so many reports of ghosts in and around Barry St. Uh, Barry St. Edmunds. It is like a hotspot, really, for this kind of activity. And maybe that is because of the these potential energy lines. But, um, yeah, I mean, around the Abbey, there's headless monks that have been seen um, in the graveyard. I actually took Jim there as well. Even in the daytime, it's just very atmospheric and spooky. I mean, it's hundreds of gravestones and a couple of little paths winding around and then loads of trees and overgrowth um you know carriages um funeral processions as well people have seen like funeral like ghost funeral processions going through um yeah all sorts um there's still a gurney in 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 the abbey uh, that were that was used to transport bodies i understand that's right. And some churches still have the original ones in the church, but, you know, they now, you know, just have a charity box on them or something for people to use or leaflets on. But um, the actual original gurneys are still in churches to this day, which is uh, a bit questionable, to be honest. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they're still functioning, but for a different reason. Uh, all right. So where is the, uh, the Abbey um, in relation to this uh, this wheat field where the uh the spectral mansion is seen it's about two miles two to three miles um from the abbey to ruffham probably about northeast um from the location i think it's about two miles yeah and and this little plot of land this wheat field um is it still farmed it's it's an active yep it's still active um as far as I'm aware, um, the Agnew family own the land and it's very much in use um, every year and it is primarily used for wheat. Um, 
other than you know the odd dog walker, not much activity um, is on is on it um, essentially, which is quite strange. I mean, it's quite a mundane field. It's very normal, but um, it has this large history of um, sightings. Um, going back about 150 years, uh, uh, do you, uh, Jim or Simon, whoever wants to jump in on this one, just maybe yeah. explain the history of the sightings themselves, how far back they go, where do we find the record of these sightings? Do you want to take yeah, it? Think, yeah, sure, sure. I mean, yeah, over about the past 150 years, it's kind of been the documented sightings, one, ones that, you know, have been uh, written up by local media and stuff. The uh, Barry St. Edmunds uh, Record Office holds um, quite, a, quite a thick sort of file just of newspaper clippings, um, and that's just sort of sightings of the, the Ruffham House that have, have made the local paper, so to speak. Um, obviously, local anecdotes are probably boosting these numbers, uh, as well, it just seemed every corner we turned, um, or every time I was kind of advertised for information through the local community page and stuff like that, someone would come forward with a with an anecdote, um, either that that they'd seen the um, apparition themselves or a member of their family, or perhaps that had some uh, knowledge passed down uh, from someone in their family. Simon, I think might be pertinent to mention the uh, the local pub. Simon went, or he, he can probably pick up the story, but he went uh, to the local pub on, on occasion because he, as he was staying in the area, sort of conducting investigations, uh, et cetera, and he bumped into um, some locals that knew all about it and some that were more uh, sharing information readily about their sightings and others that preferred to keep it sort of quiet until, um, you know, they sussed you out a little bit. Is that the best way to put it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it... It's it's been quite challenging the whole process of trying to make a film really about this subject because a lot of I mean a lot of people want to talk about it but no one wants to appear on camera or you know even be recorded in any capacity to talk about it but they they you know they're happy to discuss it um, which has been really difficult um, which I think makes the case um, of these you know witnesses more um, I don't know, truthful in a way, because yeah. they are a bit more reserved in a way, like they're not wanting to get fame or some sort of, you know. Yeah, that's the credibility, for sure. But yes, so, I mean, the ones that Jim was mentioning, yeah, I, I stayed at the, um, it's called the Bennett's Arms, it's the local pub in Ruffham, and it's only, a, I don't know, it's about a 15-minute walk from where the actual house has been seen. Um, and I spent two weeks camping uh, behind the pub, Um for my initial research and filming. Um, and, you know, I, I met so many of the, like, village characters on a day-to-day -day basis and kind of got to, you know, know a few of them. But there was two really old guys. I don't even know if they're alive today. They were probably in their 80s when I met them. And one was quite um, quite a character, very loud, uh, very opinionated. Um, and he kept trying to shut me down and be like, oh, it's just drunk people. It's silly. It doesn't exist. You know, a real skeptic type. Um, but his mate was a bit quieter and um, people had told me he'd, he had actually seen it. Um, but I managed to get him by himself and, you know, I bought him a couple of drinks. And, yeah, he, he claimed to have actually seen it twice. Um, the first time he saw it, he thought they were building on the field because um, he, he had a little Jack Russell dog, which is a little terrier type Um and he walked on that field every day for 15 years um, yeah, and claimed to see it twice in those 15 years, which is quite fascinating. Um, 
But coincidentally, it, it turned out later that the guy that is this huge skeptic had actually seen the house himself when he was walking home one night from the pub. So he then thinks everyone's drunk who sees it and it's just some sort of like hallucination um, because of it. But I thought that was quite fascinating. So the description of the house, going back to the earliest sightings some century and a half ago, are they fairly consistent? I would say 90% of them are consistent. Um, in my research, yeah, it's a red brick Georgian mansion, two or three stories, uh, big white columns at the front, um, big iron gates that are surrounding the actual, you know, uh, house itself, driveway. Um, the only con inconsistency is um, one person has seen it on a field opposite, which, um, you know, that, that I, don't, I don't really know what to make of that. Um, the person that, you know, says that they saw it on the opposite field could have been a bit confused. I mean, they are a bit elderly. Um, it was a very long time ago that they saw it. So maybe, you know, they were on the other side of the, you know, the car, passenger side, whatever. Um, but yeah, 90%, it's, it's all the same. And all the people that they don't know each other. Do you know what I mean? It's not just people in the village seeing it. It's people that don't even live in various Stemmons or Suffolk have seen it. Um, and it's just so happens to be that when someone says, hey, has anyone seen this house that, you know, People are like, oh my God, yeah. Or like they start looking into it themselves. And it's, yeah, I, I find that quite credible in my, in my opinion. We'll take a quick time out. Simon Nunn, Jim Birchall are here investigating the uh, Ruffham Ghost House, this spectral mansion appearing in a, uh, a wheat field uh, just northeast of London. Back with more of our conversation right after these. As you're staring up at the night sky, ever wonder who's staring back? You're listening to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. And we are back. Simon Nunn is with us, distinguished filmmaker, founder of UFOinsider.news, based in Norfolk uh, in the UK. Jim Birchall, newspaper editor, podcast journalist, from New Zealand and uh, the uh, the link to uh, unexplained cases on uh, YouTube and um, uh, Occam's Razor, the podcast, are in the episode notes. Uh, Simon, your um, upcoming film is uh, titled The Grove. The Grove, tell us about The Grove. This is the tree sort of lined area. So is it adjacent to or surrounding this wheat field? So the, the wheat field, yeah, it surrounds this tiny little grove. Um, it was formerly called Colville's Wood. So I just will say now, um, if any listeners are interested, there's a, a giant report that details um, the history of everything um, and potential answers to this phenomenon by a guy called Carl Grove. And he helped me a lot through uh, my research in the film. But yeah, it used to be called Colville's Grove, which was a former land owner of the land. Um, and yeah, that is, it's a, it's a very eerie place. Anyone that I've taken there um, doesn't like it. Even people I've told, you know, I haven't, I haven't told them like, oh, it's there's a haunting here. It's just, 
you know, sometimes it's nice to go for a little country walk, but um, everyone reports feeling at unease. I think, Jim, you mentioned infrasound before, and, you know, um, I did go there fairly recently with um, a device to try and capture any sort of signal of infrasound, um, and I didn't, which is interesting, even though there are um, pylons um, of electricity over the actual wood, which could maybe, you know, signify some sort of electrical activity or, like, messing with energy lines. Um, But, yeah, the wood is... um, it's strange. It's mixed of all sorts of different types of trees as well, um, from all ages. What, what what were your thoughts, Jim, when we took you there? It's yeah. I mean, the, the plantings of specifically oak trees has certainly looked deliberate um, amongst the sort of other species that are in the in the grove, as it were. Um, reports concerning the house. Um, well. There was a lot of investigation, obviously done by Carl Grove, uh, hands on, you know, feet on the ground in terms of determining reports of whether a house once stood on the site. And there was some symmetry that we kind of observed in terms of the trees, but there was nothing particularly definite in terms of a tree line kind of driveway that would lead up to an opulent mansion that was perhaps there in the past. But certainly the oak trees within the grove look out of place with the rest of it. you know, it's it's probably a misnomer to say um, they've been deliberately planted because a lot of trees are, but it's just the, I suppose the alignment of the trees and, and the symmetry is unusual, um, and it, it it leads you to sort of think there could have been something on that site at some point. Um, unfortunately, historical data or planning data and stuff like that doesn't really seem to line up with that. There is Simon might be able to go a bit more in depth about this, but there is some um, sort of mounds of soil, isn't there that within the grove that Carl sort of um, identified that perhaps could, you know, have be some evidence of something um, formally constructed, you know, been buried or covered up or something like that there. So, um, yeah, well, I mean, when I took you there, we, we did notice that there is, um, I think it was a former pond or well, um, because there's a, a definite kind of um, room where, yeah, it looks like um, some sort of water source used to be there. Where a lot of the trees are, I think they're pine um, as well, which, you know, they're they're grown to just be cut down and just used for the estate. Um, And they can take 30, 30, 50 years to reach absolute maximum maturity. But there are trees interwoven with those that are placed in certain areas, um, which are hundreds of years old, like you said, those oak trees. Um, And there, there is some sort of marker potential i think for a house to have been there i mean i've been told by people um in the village that they've heard that there was a house that that existed in that woodland um there was one old guy called phil sage who um when i interviewed him he's in his late 90s he used to be a gameskeeper um and yeah he said he found foundations of a house in the wood um and there were still raspberry canes and um blackberry bushes growing indicating some sort of domestic uh, existence in the house um which is quite fascinating i mean he did even claim that there was a map um with a coat of arms over the wood um which would signify you know a house of x y and z that used to live there but the house but, was in the, but the foundation he said was in the grove not in the wheat field yeah it was in the was in the grove mm. so that's also kind of fascinating that the fact that it's been seen 
in the field, um, not in the wood. Um, and, and everyone's, you know, the kind of theories that go around is that it is some sort of mirage. But I think, Jim, you could kind of back me up here that it, it's just not the landscape for it. There's too many hedgerows. No. There's too many woodlands. There's not, it's, it's expansive, but there's not enough to actually channel projection of a, of a mirage in that specific location as well, continuously. And the fact that it's been seen at night, um, as well as in the daytime, uh, which is, yeah, bizarre. Yeah, well, I had an anecdote um, emailed to me by um, a, a, a woman who's an academic, is probably the best way to describe it, very learned, very, um, you know, thorough in her description of what she saw. Um, and she described seeing, seeing the house um, illuminated possibly by candlelight at night. And she went back uh, on a separate occasion to see the house as she'd never seen it before, uh, etc. And surprise, surprise, it, it was gone. So it is something that manifests, you know, all times of the day. Um, so to, I suppose to use the word mirage is probably the best word that we can find for it. Um, I prefer to kind of call it an apparition because I think that's more what, what it is, some sort of replay of the past. Simon, Simon and I have butted heads on um, what we what we actually think it is. I, I sort of put forward the theory of some sort of, uh, you know, time slip or, you know, something that was imprinted in the fabric and the environment being replayed or manifested perhaps with the aid of, of the power pylon. Yeah, but the mirage side of it is probably thrown out the window a little bit, as Simon says, by the fact that it has been seen at night time as well. Um, and I think, Simon, correct me if I'm wrong, some of the uh, patrons from the local pub, uh, there might have been a report of someone seeing it at night time sort of when they were heading home as well. So it, it's a curious phenomenon. Um, it's it's certainly something I'd never heard of. Um, we, you know, we've all heard of ghost and apparitions and the stone tape theory and this sort of thing. Um, for it to apply to a whole whole um, mansion uh, is is rare in terms of paranormal reports and stuff like that, um, which sort of has me has me leaning towards a sort of um, time slip theory. You know, your your kind of Versailles, you know, kind of setup. And interestingly enough, not too far from the location, well, about thirty miles or so, I think, um, is a town called Kersey. Uh, which was involved in a very famous uh, time slip kind of incident where three uh, Navy recruits, I think it was in the 50s or 60s, some might correct me, um, that sort of went to the town and doing some exercise, some sort of orienteering. Um, and basically they were transported back in time and they saw shops that were, you know, completely out of date um, and, you know, street lamps and, um, you know, things that didn't fit with the era that they were living in, certainly. Um, and that was pretty well documented, that case. Um, so there's definitely something in the air in the area. Uh, what it is, it's uh, to be determined. So that, that was one of the reasons that you know piqued my interest, just because it was so different. And I headed up there, and um, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of the theory that I favour. But uh, Simon, I know, has a different different outlook on things. Well, I'm actually coming around to it. <laughs> oh yeah, um, yeah, I am actually. Um, yeah, the more I've been thinking about it. Um, I think that is probably the best so far because, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I do struggle with it because obviously I think I, I explained to you um, about the idea that if it was a time slip, there should be more in the surrounding area that changes that people notice, not just a house and a field. And, you know, 
yeah the road might change or like they might see a horse and car or like people wearing different attire do you know what i mean there, there needs to be a little bit more but the fact that yeah it's night and day um it doesn't matter what season it is spring summer winter autumn winter um it's been seen in every occasion um and I mean the, the the example you gave the academic that was 2018, wasn't it? That she saw it, or 2019? Uh, some it was fairly recent. Yeah, and you know, in our modern day and age, people are still seeing it, which is absolutely wild. People um, people report hearing kind of a whooshing sound when it appears in some instances. Yeah. Um, so. I think about five of the people that I've spoken to have claimed to hear a noise um, preceding the house appearing. Um, a couple of them is also the weather has been a bit, you know, foggy, misty. It's kind of, you know, the kind of typical ghost story atmosphere. But, you know, it's, it's a kind of like a droning, uh, whooshing sound. Um, I guess similar to like a humming noise in a way, but um, or like a strong wind, I think Phil um, described it. Um, and then it's kind of appeared. But then again, a lot of um, a lot of the sightings have been seen during people just driving in their car. It's not like they're walking about because most people drive these days, especially in that area. But um, yeah, I mean, sorry, go. Have either of you seen it? No. No. Unfortunately. <laughs> All right, we'll take another time out. Simon Nunn, Jim Burchell stays with us as we continue to discuss the uh, Ruffham Ghost House. Back with more in a moment. It's time to redefine reality. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Jim Burchell stays with us, newspaper editor, podcaster, journalist from New Zealand, Simon Nunn, filmmaker, founder of UFO Insider.news. He's uh, joining us from Norfolk in the United Kingdom, and we are talking about the uh, Ruffham Ghost House, or uh, some call it a mirage. Others suggest it is um, some sort of a time slip that we're, we're able to see this grand red-bricked Georgian manor um, in a, uh, a small village just northeast of London. And um, you featured a, uh, an eyewitness, Jean Batram, I believe her name is, a woman in her 80s. Uh, I think she was in your report, Jim, that was posted on your YouTube channel. Um, tell us about right. Jean's experience with the Ruffham House. Well, yes, yeah, Simon's actually... He uh, alluded to it earlier when he mentioned, uh, well, Jean, Jean's case is unique in the sense that she saw the the apparition on the opposite side of the road. That's what he was uh, speak, speaking about earlier. Um, she's, yeah, I interviewed her when I went up um, in, when was it, August or so. so um, and Simon, Simon and Carl Grove, who'd done all the pioneering work that we've been referring to, um, had interviewed her at some length as well. Um, so her... Her take on things um, was certainly is certainly unique. I mean, the whole whole situation, the whole phenomenon is unique. But her um, seeing it on the opposite side of the street was um, one out of the box. So whether that you know whether that came from, as Simon said, 
confusion over where she initially saw it. You know, was she a passenger in a vehicle? Was she driving the vehicle? Um, that to be, I would have to go back in my notes just to have a look at that. But Simon might be able to shed some light just on um, her experience and why it sort of resonated so much with us. It's just, just, just because it's different from from the rest of them, and the location had changed. Right. She'd never been there in that area before. And, and I believe she was in the car with her husband who was driving, if I remember correctly, yeah. on King yeah. Towns Hall um, yep. when she saw this. And her husband didn't see it because I guess he was focused on driving. Yeah. And I don't I don't think he um, she made a note of it because she does live locally. I visited her house and it's only sort of a mile or two, I think, from from the Ruffham site. But she made mention that she didn't usually travel that way. It wasn't a way she didn't always have to travel but having said that she'd lived there long enough that she was familiar with her surrounds and, and something like that uh, given the opulent nature or the reports of, of how opulent the house is with something that would stick in her memory and, and in fact did um, and she's recounted the story a number of times so it's um, you know it's I won't say well worn but she certainly um, you know got all her facts facts in order and ducks in a row in terms of what she saw and uh yeah, and she's she's um, you know even with a slightly advanced age, she's sharp sharp of mind. You know, it's not something that um, she's not someone you would accuse of sort of um, having a, an old memory that's conjured up. You know, and and things have been distorted or anything like that. She's pretty clear on what she saw and the facts and and time and that sort of thing. So, and she described it as a new. A, she thought it was a brand new house, right? She described it as a new build. I think was the term she, she used. did. She did, yeah. I mean, whether that was because she just hadn't seen anything and she was, you know, her mind was putting um, one and one together and saying, oh, they've, you know, built something on this land now was something that I asked her. And she said, yeah, in, in her opinion, it was kind of something that was brand new, which was even stranger as part of it. I mean, yeah, that, that makes it more interesting as well, I think, yeah. because if it's a new build, because there's a lot of these flat pack houses that you can buy for cheap and then kind of build them yourself. And you can get them, I think, in Georgian style. And I think that kind of might allude to the fact that, that I don't know, there's a new theory that actually people are seeing something in the future rather than in the past as like a time slip that actually maybe in five, 20, 30 years, a, a Georgian new style house will appear on that field. And maybe that field will be sold off. We don't know. I mean, that, that's, that's an idea which I, I was kind of drawn to lately to explain this phenomenon because that, there's a historic uh, relevance to to similar stories. I think that would explain if it's a, the future. Yeah, that would explain if it is a time slip. Why people aren't seeing other old buildings mm. appear suddenly in in farmers' fields and so forth. That this is a glimpse into the future. Um, she also, uh, Jean, did mentioned the. Um, one of the gentlemen that you ran into, Simon, at the pub, the the uh, the older gentleman with the exactly. Jack Russell Terrier, and yep. she corroborated the story, your story. Yeah, that's right. Um, she was uh, she was out with a friend putting uh, flies up for a, a her friend's cat um, ran off, and uh, they were just putting flies out, and they bumped into this gentleman, and she just said to him, "Oh, we're right by where the rough mansion appears," and he was like. Oh, right. Yeah, I've seen that twice and, you know, told told the whole story. And, you know, that was I think that was the that was a really important moment for Jean because that was the first time I guess it felt validating for her that someone else had seen it and like she wasn't just losing her mind and her friend was with her and actually started to believe her then. Um, I think that is quite a nice moment for her.
So what's next in this uh, investigation? Um, can you get permission from the, the owner of this plot of land, the farmer, to, I don't know, do some sort of um, an excavation? Obviously, you know, when, the, uh, the, when wheat is not in season, but um, so you're not disrupting, disrupting the crop. But what's next? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm in a dialogue with um, the Agnew Estate at the moment about potentially doing something like that. But um, as you pointed out, it has to be in, in a year where they're not going to be actually active on it. Um, and obviously, they don't want to lose money, etc. But um, yeah, we're in dialogue at the moment to do this because I think it would be incredibly interesting to do it in the grove as well as as well as the field. Um and if we can get onto the other side as well, um, where Gene had seen it, just to kind of rule out any kind of, um, you know, potentiality of finding a structure or foundations, um, that would be that would be great. Um, that that's kind of um, where I'm at at the moment is just to get that sorted. Um, like I mentioned, I did I did do some infrasound um, recordings um, just to try and get a signal on that that wasn't so successful, but I mean, that, that rules out that, you know, that is right. Right. No, no, no people or animals have ever been seen as part of this apparition. No, um, not, not usually. Actually, I was just thinking there was one lady that I spoke with, um, last year. Um, and she saw it as a little girl in the 1990s. Um, she was with a group of friends just biking about Rutham and um, they saw the house um, and she claims to have seen a little girl in the window. Interesting. That, but that's the only person that I've spoken with who claims to have seen someone in the house. Usually it's just completely empty. All right. Now, the no, no, oh, sorry, go ahead, Jim. Sorry. And just in terms of activity within the house, I, I alluded to earlier the report uh, from the, the academic lady, for lack of a better term, um, who mentioned candlelight and stuff like yes. that inside. But the, the rest of the reports um, pretty much, you know, just detail the house, etc. whether that's because people, you know, perhaps didn't pay as much attention to the finer details, you know, whether there was someone inside that sort of carry on. Um, her, her testimony was a bit different in the sense that she, as I said, described candlelight sort of a glow is the way she put it. She didn't say unearthly or anything like that. She just seemed like a... She, she said there could have been a social event going on inside. She didn't mention any sound or anything like that, but this certainly gave the impression that the house was lit up because there was people inside. So um, aside and aside from the, the sighting that Simon just mentioned, um, yeah, there hasn't been any people or animals or anything like that. Um, just just the structure at this point. But uh, Yeah, and yeah. I think it's probably, it's just worth maybe reiterating that the fact that most of these reports, it's people driving in their car. They're not necessarily from the area or even know the area. They might even get lost and they see this house and it's not just a normal house. It's a, an exquisite, mm. beautiful manor house, which makes people make a mental note to go, you know, I want to come back and see that again, or maybe research into it and see who lives there. Maybe ask local people about it. And when they do, they find out it doesn't exist, which is, yeah. It's an incredible story, an incredible mystery. And um, I look forward to uh, the release of your film, your upcoming film, The Grove. Simon, where can we get more information or how do we you know, sort of keep up to date with the, the progress of the film? Uh, for any updates and progress, just go on to my website, simonnunn.com, and it will be up on there in springtime.
All right. And uh, Jim, um, what's coming up on the YouTube channel, uh, Unexplained Cases, and uh, the podcast, Occam's Razor? So Unexplained Cases, um, I'm at the, just at the moment piecing together some footage um, of other kind of paranormal events that I, I made an interesting recording at Temple Church in uh, London when I was over there, uh, quite by accident. I set up a um, three-second establishing shot outside. Uh, this is the church of people are familiar with the Da Vinci Code and mm. and so forth. It's in the Inner Temple in London there. Um, and I picked up some a strange audio phenomenon of uh, footsteps uh, that definitely sounded inside um, and a, a strange kind of cackle, uh, quite, as I said, quite by accident. Um, so I'm putting together a video just uh, on that and... Um, another one that includes uh, some stories from a place called the Queen's House, which is in Greenwich in the UK, which sits smack bang in the middle uh, of the Meridian Line, runs pretty much through the house there, through to the Naval College. Uh, and there's there's um, talk of um, ghost, uh, ghost of a uh, dwarf, actually, um, who was tied in with, with the ruling monarch at the time. Um, so I'm, I'm putting together something like that, for lack of a better term, kind of Ghosts of London sort of style uh, sort of thing. I just picked up, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, audio and video and stuff over there that I'm piecing together. So that's that's next on the list. Um, and hopefully I'll head back to the UK in, uh, well, the New Zealand winter, so sort of um, July, somewhere around there, and, and, and meet up with Simon and, and do some more digging around around the Ruffham House. And hopefully... Uh, document something pretty pretty impressive Fantastic. maybe we'll catch the house this time oh that would be wonderful <laughs> that's, right. that's right simon thank you so much jim appreciate it great to meet you both and uh, look forward to an update on this remarkable mystery thank you very much thanks richard a new richard sarrett's strange planet drops every monday wednesday and friday Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.